Welcome to Sermon Seasonings, the podcast of Christchurch Gladesville, where we look in more depth at the passage we examined on Sunday. I'm David Mears. And I'm Mandy Curley. On Sunday, we turn to the end of Ephesians chapter 6 and finished our series on God's grand plan as we looked in detail at putting on the full armour of God and what it would mean for us to stand firm in Christ. Dave, thanks heaps, not just for Sunday, but for this whole series. It's been a great book to look at and an important time to look at it. And I think uh, we've commented before that God's sovereignty over when we end up doing things, these things get planned a year in advance and more. And, uh, you know, we've already got next year mapped out and uh, and yet God just seems to put things in at the right time for us to think about it. Mind you, I guess his, his word does that, doesn't it? Mm. There's any time you can read it and, and he will feed us with it. So it's been uh, it's been great looking at Ephesians. And so we've got our, our final Ephesians wrap-up podcast uh, today. And I thought we'd look at four different things. Yep. So the first is the bit we missed, which is kind of part of what the pod's about. So we're going to look at the very ending um, and the farewells and all that sort of stuff and greetings that happen at the end of the book. Then we're going to have a look, another look at the armour of God, but from uh, more from the angle of not what the items are, but the process mm. by which they're put on. And then the third thing we're going to do is, again, what we like to do in this podcast, and that is have a look at how it fits with the rest of the Bible. In particular, we want to think of some of the themes, the Old Testament themes and references that that um, we see echoed in the in the end of Ephesians. And then the last thing we're going to do is actually think about how Ephesians six happens at the right time, right at the end of the book. It's a how what a wonderfully fitting conclusion it is to the message of the whole letter. So that's what we're going to be doing today. Okay, Dave, so we're going to start at the end of Ephesians uh, chapter 6 and the bit that we didn't look at. So let me read from verse 21 to 24. Tychius, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus with an undying love. Okay, so that's the very end of the book. Now we'll actually look at some of the things in verses 23 and 24 uh, towards the end of the podcast. But I thought we might explore a little bit about that that wonderful little uh, friendly window in verses 21 to 22. I think um, actually this... We didn't talk about this earlier, but but it's it's a little bit of a testimony against those who would say that uh, Ephesians is potentially not authentic because he doesn't have enough personal references. Uh, but I think when you we finish telling you stuff about Tychicus, you'll see this is personal enough, and mm. this certainly testifies, I think, to the authenticity of of Paul's authorship of this. It's it's it fits into actually what we see in the rest of the New Testament about Paul and his relationships, um, as we'd mentioned before. Uh, Ephesians is a is a general epistle in the sense that it isn't written to just one church in particular, but to a few churches in a region, and that is the region, uh, province of Asia, some of the churches around the area and including the church at Ephesus. Now, um, there's a couple of passages where we learn about Tychicus. So mm. Tychicus is, a, is one of Paul's travelling buddies, mm. and he actually turns up in five different books of the New Testament. So uh, we were talking about names. He, he sounds like he is a wonderful saint. I mean, Paul himself describes him, notice there, as, as um, uh, my, the dear brother. 
He talks about him as the faithful servant in the Lord. And so that that's not a small um, endorsement of Tychicus from, from Paul. So, uh, Dave, is this your recommendation that, you know, if you're expecting a boy, put yeah, that's it. So, so um, I don't think it'll catch on like Abigail. Abigail is such is a is a is a kind of a good sounding name as well as being a wonderful <laughs> reference to a, an amazing woman in the Old Testament. Tychicus is an amazing guy in the Old Testament, but okay, you could call him Tiki for short, or, or the Tickster, or Tickmeister, or Tickerama. Anyway, I could keep going on. So yeah, you got Tychicus. Um, just as a bit of a capture of those two verses, anyway, you get this idea of the of the relationships within the early church. So Paul's letter, so Paul's in prison. He's given, um, Tychicus is likely the one carrying this letter and he goes to, goes to Ephesians. And and again, this is why a lot of the, the personal details, he doesn't need to spell them out because Tychicus can tell them all about mm. it. He says, I don't need to sit there and give you all of the details about how I'm going. Just ask Tychicus about it. Mm. And because this is a letter that is likely come along with Colossians. Tychicus's journey would have carried a, num- a couple of letters, potentially the letter to the Laodiceans as well. And so the idea is, is that rather than putting greetings to one church specific, he gives them a letter that's mainly focused for them and um, and the bearer of that letter will, will inform him. So mm. you get this picture of a number of uh, relationships that were being built between the early churches, even at this early stage. And this is especially reinforced in our first reference to Tychicus, which is in Acts chapter 20. So um, in Acts chapter 20, verse 4, which interestingly enough is after he'd, straight after the riot mm. in Ephesus, yep. uh, he then gets out of there and uh, and he travels around. And listen to some of Paul's travelling companions in verse 4 of chapter 20 of Acts. He was accompanied, this is Paul, by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus from Berea. So remember you might read about the Berean Bereans. church early yep. in who, who were noble and tested the scriptures, right, uh, to see if what Paul was saying was true. Then we've got Aristarchus and Secundus from Thessalonica, yep. all right, and a Macedonian church. Uh, you've got Gaius from Derby. Lister and Derby, I think. Yeah. Was that where he was stoned, I think? Or something like that where, where they um, he, he met with trouble earlier in the book of Acts. Uh, Timothy also, we know Timothy, and Tychicus and Trophimus from the province of Asia, which of course is is where Ephesus is yeah. and, uh, and Colossae and Laodicea and a couple of other places. So what you've got this picture in Acts is that when Paul was travelling around, he there would be people travelling with them who were part of the other churches that he's planted and grown on the way. And so you can imagine that perhaps as he moves on from those places that some of the people in those churches chose to travel with him. Mm. And so you've got these networks building where the people people in Ephesus will have actually met people from the new churches in other places and those churches in other places will have had some of these travelling companions going along with them as well. And so, so if we think of... Uh, all of the early churches developing in isolation, we've got the wrong picture. Mm. They, as you might imagine from having read about the wonderful fellowship of the saints that you get in Ephesians, that the local churches had a heart for one another. Mm. They knew of one another. They knew people from those churches because it was a special delight to know of believers in other mm. places. And so certainly um, the idea that they might have d- developed by themselves and have their own 
uh, that you needed to somehow secretly know all that was going on in that little church. Uh, know that they swapped things, they swapped people. They, they, it was a wonderful network. So then we find out about Tychicus. He goes, we ne- his next reference in, in the um, Bible is in Ephesians 6. So he's probably carrying the letter. Then we get him in Colossians. So do you want to read Colossians 4 verse 7? Yeah, so Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. Now that's very similar, isn't mm. it, to our reference in Ephesians 6, which again is one of those things that you can go, he wrote these letters basically at the same time yeah. um, and sent them with the same messenger. And so even the description of the messenger has, has got strong par- parallels, yeah. like that he'll tell you all the news about me. Mm. If you want any updates on on my life in prison and what's been going on, just ask him. Yeah. Um, he, he's the dear brother. We're also told that in Ephesians. We're, we're told that he's a faithful minister and fellow servant. It just it's exactly yeah. the same. And so he's, he's so the Colossians know about Tychicus. He yeah. takes a letter up the valley to them as well. Then we read about him in two Timothy. Yep. So I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. So it's just now. What do we know about two Timothy? Well, we know that. 2 Timothy is one of Paul's last letters, so it's much later in Paul's in Paul's life and mm. ministry. Yeah. Um, and you know he's imprisoned again, and we get the picture of actually how hard life is for Paul. So, in 2 Timothy chapter four, like verse six, he talks about like from already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. I fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Mm. You know, so those beautiful picture that beautiful picture of Paul's words about like you know I. I've poured out my life here for the sake of the gospel. And it's in that context where he is like alone and doing that. He's asking Timothy to come to him and he's asking Timothy to come to him and say, and be assured you can do this because Tychicus, he's still around and I've sent him to Ephesus. Mm. So so Tychicus is coming. He's going to look after stuff in mm. Ephesus. So Timothy, I need you by my side. Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've sent him to, he's going to serve you, but now I'm, I'm left alone. And of course, uh, 2 Timothy, which we'll probably look at sometime in the next year or two, is a very moving book because this time he's in prison for a second time. His life is being poured out like a drink offering, mm. a description. He thinks he doesn't think he's going to get out of jail this mm. time, and of course he doesn't. This is where he's beheaded. But um, but you've got Tychicus is still in there. Yeah. He, he's Years later, he's still part and a key part of the networking of the early church and as an emissary of the great apostle Paul. And so um, he's, a, he's not an insignificant mm. dude. I, I, th- I love looking at little mm. people like him because it just reminds you of, of all of the um, – I don't want to say bit players of the early church, but but that the that the saints of the early church and the, and so many significant people of the early church don't have books named after them, mm. but they're doing all these things behind the scenes, and all we just do is get snippets of their name here and there. Um, and now the last, as I said, it's five times he's mentioned in the New Testament, and the last time is in Titus, chapter three, verse twelve. Now Titus is going now back earlier in time, so this is not as late as two Timothy, because as you mentioned, that's the last letter Paul wrote. Um, but Titus, um, do you want to read it to us? Yeah, Titus three twelve. So, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Okay, so um, Paul's obviously travelling around and and he's going to stay at. 
Nicopolis because he's just told us he's going to. Um, and he hasn't decided who he's going to send yet. He's going to send mm. either Artemis or Tychicus because they're both around him. They're both part of his 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 group that are working out and trying to manage the churches and help support and encourage them. And so Tychicus might be sent off there. And where is there? Um, Tim Timothy, sorry, Titus right. is ministering in Crete. Preach. So that island in the yep. in the middle of the Mediterranean. So so you see, Tychicus is getting around, mm. and you, he's he's an emissary of Paul's, regularly communicating and encouraging. And he probably had a whole lot of trips that we never read about mm. because they're not we don't get letters to whoever he he sent them to. And so it gives you a window into the dynamic community of the early church. So um, there have been theories in uh, in biblical scholarship in the past, especially in the middle of last century, where it was all about how you had to try and get this window into what that early church community was and the special concerns of that, um, especially like with the Gospels. So even with the book of Mark, everyone's trying to think of what's a – we can't understand Mark unless we understand the specific situation of that early church. But a lot of the letters and all of the Gospels were written with a view – to being distributed, mm. knowing that other people were going to read them because that was the dynamic. They all were sending people here, there and everywhere because it was a, it was the Eastern Mediterranean, Mediterranean was a travel hub. People were going mm. back and forward all the time and the churches were building one another up. So there you go. There's uh, it, It's just a name in the back of Ephesians and yet it is a window into the wonderful uh, love and community and, and inter-church fellowship of the early church. So the second thing we're going to look at today uh, is to look again at the armour of God. Yeah. Now, we looked in detail on Sunday at that and how it worked itself out. But Dave, you wanted us to particularly look at some of the structure um, of that passage. So take yeah, us through. Yeah, in one sense, um, on Sunday what a, we, we focused a little bit on, on what the pieces of the armour specifically are and, and, and tie them to some of the uh, earlier parts of Ephesians are, that where they're where they're linked, but I thought we might actually th- try and get ourselves in the room and have a little bit of a higher level view of, of the process, and uh, and this is something that is um is there, you, you can kind of see it in the structure of it. Mm. So in Ephesians um, six fourteen to seventeen, there are, you you might notice that how I said there's four things that we are taking up and then and, oh what is it? four things we're putting on putting and, on. Two, and two things, things that we're taking up because there is actually a need to divisions there's two remember how we talked about imperatives mm. the other day there's two imperatives commands in this section and the first one is actually stand yeah so the fir- the command there in verse fourteen is stand therefore mm-hmm. now um, the second command is in verse seventeen. And that is take. Mm. So we're to stand and we're to, to take. take. Now, what are we to do when we're standing? Well, each of the things that are being described about the bits that we're putting on comes with another kind of verb that, that <laughs> is, is, you know, so it's, it's um, so stand, uh, girding up your waist and uh, putting on, the breastplate of righteousness, righteousness, and fitting the feet with the readiness of the gospel peace, and then you get a wrapping up one, which is yeah. and in everything taking up the 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 shield of faith. Mm. So you've got there's four things you're you're putting on. You're, so you're you're wrapping around, you're putting on, you're 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 fitting the feet, and you're taking up. 
while you're standing, mm. right? So that's if you're if you're picturing somebody uh, uh, clothing themselves, that's that's what they're doing. And I think it's also interesting that the that the last bit that the shield of faith is almost a finishing up of those things. If you think about the first three, they're bits that you wear on your person. Yeah. And then the shield is the thing, is the big thing that you take up that protects the whole body. Mm. And so it's interesting that the thing that you take up that protects yep. the whole it's body. the raise up word it's there, the raise rather up, than yes. take up, which yes, is kind yes. of part of the thing because <laughs> yes. the next two are the ones that are very clearly the take up. Yeah, yeah. So we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll talk about the, the taking. But the, the, so you're to stand we, um, and stand gearing yourself up with these things and then you, you're lifting up. Um, the the shield in front of you yeah. that is and that that is faith. Faith mm. is the big shield. And notice how it says. So it's in all of this. You take up the shield, and what does the shield do? It protects you from all the fiery arrows of the evil one. And so there, there is this comprehensive thing that faith really is is what makes you bulletproof mm. um which is wonderful yes. to anachronize the whole, <laughs> whole the whole thing so yeah. so there you got there's the, the first one now the thing i really want to draw attention to is the second bit mm. because if the first bit you're picturing somebody clothing themselves in their tent before a battle the last bit has somebody else in the room and this is where I think if you're trying to visualize um, Ephesians 6, 14 to 17, you've got to have God in the room. Because the word there, the second command after we're standing is to take. And the word there for take actually is a word that has a focus on the one giving it to you. Um, so, so it's a word that has uh, an exchange going on. Mm. So there is the the person giving is present in there and you're, you're imagining them reaching out and receiving it from it. So they've clothed themselves up with it and it's almost like there is God in the room handing them mm. the helmet and then handing them the sword. Yep. And so God is in the room. The things that he hands them is their salvation. Mm. The things that he hand, hands them is his word that will be the sword that, of the spirit that they can take mm. into the world. So so I think the, the, the visualization of it is it's the armor of God, but it's not just the armor that God left there that no. you're to put on. It, yeah. It's the armor he is handing to you. Mm. He's in the room, and yeah. there's just this wonder. I think there's just a, a wonderful uh, nuance to that picture that I think our attention can easily be doing to itemizing what the pieces they are and what their functionality is, mm. without necessarily getting the picture of what's going on there. That you're gearing up, and your master, your commander, is giving you your salvation mm. and the word of God with which to go out and battle with. Yeah, yeah. So then the second bit is is there's another bit where God's in the room. And you remember how we talked about the idea of in that in from verse 18 and onwards when it's talking about praying that that's also part of this soldier imagery and that the key to understanding that is this idea of of being a, a, a watchman, being mm. being vigilant, staying awake like a guard on duty, and then and then doing and then praying, is part of that. But God's in the room there too. Mm. So here's um. Uh, do you want to read that verse, verse eighteen? Sure. So um, chapter six, six verse, verse eighteen. 18. Um, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Mm. So there's that idea of being the watchman. Mm. But there's a key phrase at the beginning that we didn't get to talk about on Sunday, and that is pray in the Spirit. What What is praying in the Spirit? Is, is there it, any other kind of prayer? Is there any prayer? other kind of prayer? Well, I think the answer is no, there isn't. There, that There is only kind of one way of praying. And in fact, that's the point that Ephesians make. So in Ephesians 2 verse 18, remember we were reminded, this is all in that section about how the fact that we have been brought near and uh, and how we've been being given peace to those who are far away and near. 2 verse 18 says, um, For through him, Christ, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Our access to the Father is always by that one spirit um, through Christ. Mm. And so all of our prayer is on one level in the spirit. So then if that's what all prayer is, why is he saying, what does it mean to tell us to pray in the spirit? Well, I think this is the God in the room business. So all Christian prayer is in the spirit, but Paul states it here to remind these watchful persevering brothers and sisters that they do not labor at this task of prayer by themselves just like the things that they had to go out and fight the battle with and not it's God's armor and God has handed it to them um so they bear the full armor of God but they're also empowered in prayer in their spiritual guard duty by his holy spirit so do they they had to pray it's a mindfulness that you the spirit is equipping you and mm. with you and um, and helping you to speak even as you pray. And and it's hard not to go in your mind to, to Romans 8 as well mm. at that point, that idea of the, the spirit pleading with us with words, even if we can't think of yeah. what we can say, the spirit pleads with us. So you've got God in the room giving us what we need, equipping us with what we can take out into the world, and then even being with us as we pray and act as his watchman. So as we look at this passage, the imagery of kind of God as a warrior and battle, that's quite familiar imagery that's mm. used throughout the Bible, isn't it? Yeah, it's not something that, hey, Paul's come up with something new, the idea that you've got that you're in a spiritual battle or even that God is a warrior or something like that. Uh, of course, Paul being um, steeped in the Old Testament uh, has already um, owned in his heart the wonderful rich imagery of God as, as warrior and uh, and also as, as God um, being a warrior for his people. Now, of course, in Jeremiah, we actually saw the, the tragic twist on that and we'll see a little bit in one of the references that we're going to look at in the moment as well of, 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 um, of God actually acting as the warrior against his own people because of their rebellion. Um, but I thought we'd have a look at three... Uh, three things that from the Old Testament that resonate with what we looked at. And the first one that I thought we'd read is is Psalm 40, 46. So if if you're reading about the armour of God and, and his wonderful provision and the safety and security we have in him uh, and that that warms your heart, well, then you may have heard this psalm and it is a, wonderfully, a wonderful reinforcement of that in poetic form. So do you want to read for Psalm 46? God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy places where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fail. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. He says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. It's a such a good passage, and um, and it's a good passage for our time, isn't it? Just like just like Ephesians six mm-hmm. is is a wonderful um, part of Ephesians for for our time, and and the and when when we have this sense of turmoil and and stuff. Now, uh, even though the imagery in Psalm forty six is not so much spiritual enemies, you do get it has got a cosmic mm. feel about it. You've got yep. the earth shaking. You've got these huge movements, and yet you go and get. God is the refuge. God is the one in whom we hide. He's He's the one. Because remember, of course, the Lord Almighty means the Lord of armies. Nice. Uh, the Lord of hosts is his name, and he is the one who stands guard over his people. Uh, you, you can see a, a beautiful fit in there with, with a, a Ephesians 6. And, of course, there's that, that wonderful... Um, uh, there's that wonderful piece at the end of Psalm 46 where it talks about being still, mm. isn't there? What does that come conjure up for you? Well, I think as we think about the stand firm in mm. Ephesians, mm. Um, I'm sort of reminded of the whole thing of like we stand and you've got to be still when you stand. Mm. And so there's almost this reminder there of like, you know, that we can, we can, I mean, I, I almost want to sit in mm. Psalm 46, yeah. but there's that stillness that actually means that I don't need to frantically panic and try and, mm. you know, grasp my hands at everything to try and work out, oh, what can I do and how can I put out this fire? But there's actually the stillness that comes from remembering that the God of all is actually the one in whom I can seek refuge because mm. he is the one who is, yeah, where my security is found. Yeah, yeah. And and the the other thing I like about Psalm forty six is you've got the picture of being safe and secure mm. in the place that God has put you because His walls are around you, mm. and you've got the same in the same Psalm you've got the image of Him rampaging mm. outside the walls, right? <laughs> uh, 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 wielding his 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 armies in into de- to defeating his enemies, and the wonderful counterpart to that, or that Ephesians six I think adds into it is that he then equips us and sends us out. Mm. And his word is the sword that we carry with us. And and so I don't know if this is over over egging it, but but that idea that we become the hosts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're, we're part of the host. Yeah. Um and do, do in this uh, wonderful battle of making God known in the world and, and standing for him before all the forces that are arrayed against him. So so Psalm 46 I nearly um, used it yesterday, but you can imagine how long the sermon would have been. <laughs> it was long enough anyway. Um, if I'd added that in, so so there's that that again that wonderful idea of of the Lord being arming and protecting and and shielding us, um, and that we can trust Him like the shield of faith. You know, yep. on who earth is going to stand up against the walls that God provides for us? Uh, the second uh, passage that is actually alluded to or referenced really in um, Ephesians 6, is Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 12. This is when it talks about the fact that um, with the ready feet with ready with, a, mm. with the gospel, right, the gospel of peace. And that there's an allusion here to this passage in Isaiah. So would you like to read it for us? 
How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, your watchmen lift up their voices. Together they shout for joy when the Lord returns to Zion. They will see it with their own eyes. Burst into songs of joy together, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations. All the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there. Touch no unclean thing. Come out of out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste or go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. Yeah, it's it's almost you've got this movement from Psalm 46. Mm. So Psalm 46 is you're inside the walls, the Lord's rampaging outside. Now he's there's a sending out going on. Mm. And there's a sending out into the world, and it's and it's with with good news. It's about, there's there's peace in there. At the same time, you can see those images of holiness and righteousness coming out there as well. Yeah, but they're equipped for it, and mm. that whole thing they don't they don't go out on their own. Yes, um, that picture of like I love that whole thing. And you know, don't worry about it. You're not going to have to like hurry and get out of here. Like the Lord your God is going to go before you. And. Uh, isn't it interesting what comes next? Mm. So the Lord's going to, you're going out to be bring good news. The Lord's going to go out before you, this wonderful message of comfort for the people. And then the very next verses talk about what? See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised and lifted up and highly exalted. It's the, the great servant song so. begins in Isaiah 52 verse 13. Yeah. Um, of the of the one who will take up all of our infirmities, who will um, take all the bullets for us, and then see the light of life at the end of it. It is um it's it's a beautiful juxtaposition of the two passages. Yeah. Um. So we've had the refuge, we've had the going out. Um. It's strengthened by the Lord now. Um. Now we've got this idea of of watchmen, right? So how we talk about the that that prayer section how we're to take on, understand our role as being advocates and um, on on guard duty for our fellow believers, for all of the saints. Yeah. Now, this idea of being a watchman, being um, always vigilant on, on guard and on watch on the for the sake of your people is something that has a reference, an important reference, back in the Old Testament. It's, however, it's there's interesting contrasts mm. With, with the Ephesians 6 picture, because this is from Ezekiel 33. Now, if you're wanting to know anything about Ezekiel, we've spent a term in Jeremiah, Ezekiel was at the same time. Yep. So if you've got a picture in your head about the world that Ezekiel and the nature of what God's people were doing at the time of Ezekiel, just picture Jeremiah and you've got your answer. So I thought we might have a look at verses 1 to 6 of, um, of Ezekiel 33. Yep. So the word of the Lord came to me, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against a land and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against the land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warnings and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head, since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning their blood will be on their own head. If they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. 
But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin. But I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Yeah. And speaking to Ezekiel, he then says, Son of man, I've made you a watchman for the people of Israel. So he's a watchman for God's people. Mm. But whether you could call God's people <laughs> saints at this point <laughs> no. in time is another thing because here's the bit about verse um, uh, 2. It says, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, When I, that is the Lord, brings the sword against a land and the people of the land choose someone to be a watchman, right? Mm. So the Lord's the one bringing the sword against the land. And so the watchman is to warn the people so that the Lord, um, uh, you know, so that they will respond and the Lord will not have to bring the sword yeah. against them. So in that context of ancient Israel, um, Ezekiel was called to be a watchman who proclaimed the warnings, who said, look out, they're coming, be ready and don't, um, and don't, snooze right and uh, he's meant to be the one who's on guard duty who alerts the people to the danger that's on their horizon Mm. now it's a different context isn't it in in Ephesians 6 it is but there is that similar kind of idea of looking out for the people around and praying for them and asking for the Lord's protection on them so that they will actually you know like that's the picture be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people um, the context we're talking here is and it's, it's pleading. Yeah, it's mm. been it's the schemes of the devil that mm. people are in danger of, and so being alert to what those schemes are and praying that people would continue in Christ. Mm. That that is the job of the watchman. And there surely has to be uh, intercession as part of that. That the part of what Paul is talking about about pleading on behalf of the saints is. For those who are perhaps under the heat, perhaps those who are, are wilting or or struggling to stand, or who have um, left pieces of their armor mm. behind, uh, if I'm not over mm. overplaying this, but that that idea of that there is um, advocating for the saints, but it's not just giving thanksgiving, which is a lot of what we'd seen earlier in Ephesians, but there is this um, earnestness to this role of watchman. So I think that I personally find that quite a striking image to appropriate and to take on board for myself when I think about what am I doing when I'm praying for people? What is, do I just, am I, I think I've absorbed the idea that I am remembering them to the mm. Lord. I'm thinking about them and go, well, what are their needs? And and I'm praying for them. And, and hopefully I'm employing some of the things I've learned from earlier in Ephesians about what I want God to empower them to do. But I think understanding my my the importance that I have a responsibility for my brothers and sisters and that I'm a watchman for them, and that part of that means that I'm calling upon God to act on their behalf is a, is a helpful conception, I think, mm. to have, to go, I need to contend for the saints in prayer because our struggle is not just against, is not against yeah. flesh and blood. It is against the, the principalities. There is a battle going on and I'm to be on guard and there's a responsibility I think this is the mm. bit that, that Ezekiel really brings in, that responsibility to go um, do your duty for your people. Mm. So uh, it's quite a quite – a, a, see, when you bring in those Old Testament contexts, it, it just helps fill out an already, already wonderfully full um, passage. So you can see that it's such a wonderful – big cosmic picture that we get in the Old Testament and it matches the new. And can I say this is why Ephesians 6 
is a is a, a suited suitable and I think a very deliberate ending and to, to the whole book of Ephesians. I think we've been what's Ephesians done from the very beginning? It's caused us to bring our minds to a higher higher level. It's the perfect conclusion of the book, given its its cosmic scale message of the eternal plans of God, where he where from before creation ultimately to where he's taking us in the very end, the great purpose and scheme of God that we get in chapter one. And then we we we're walked through all of the things that we're meant to do and how God is building his people and how his people are to be this wonderful testament to um, his His wisdom and glory in Jesus. And then how does he finish? He finishes by, by saying, uh, you were to, you, you've been called that you might be a testimony in, into the heavenly realms. And so now you, this is who you need to be. Mm. Um, this is all that we've done and I've I've done in you and so the the enemies are now against you. We're mm. in this cosmic space. You've now got to be this cosmic testimony mm. to, to the wisdom and power of God. Mm. It, it it is a it is a, a powerful finish to the passage. Um it's where to take our place in God's plans, where to own our testimonial mm. role before the heavenlies by standing against them and standing firm against them. I think that's something that um, is is a wonderful counterpoint to what we've led up until now because the language hasn't been about stand, has it? No, it, and so it's kind of it's that interesting thing because we end Chapter 6 with stand, um, but the whole way through the beginning from Chapters 1 to 5 – the word that Paul uses is about how we are to walk. Yeah. Um, you know, we noticed it that we often talk about the live, but the the Greek behind it is walk and it's yes. all about the way that we are to to walk. So we saw it from from chapter two. Yes, yeah, so, um, so so chapter one is that that eulogy that says here's the whole big scheme, and then as it walks us from the beginning. It walks, walks us. us, literally. So, you know, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, you got the you were dead in your sins and transgressions in which you used to walk mm. when you followed the ways of the world. Um, all of us walked among them at one time. And those ways of the world is the, in accordance with the ruler of the kingdom of the air. Mm. It's it's almost like chapter 6 is and from chapter 2 to chapter 6 is, is a, a unit that follows the whole big picture mm. of chapter 1. Yeah, yeah, because again in uh, 2 verse 10 we got the for we are God's uh, workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to walk in. To walk in, yes. We were walking in his ways. Um, in chapter 4 we talked about um, being called in verse 1 uh, to live a life worthy of the calling you've received, to walk in a way worthy of that calling that we've got. And in uh, verse 17, uh, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord – that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. In the, as a way that the, the, the double walk then is, as the Gentiles walk Walked. in the futility of the yeah. thinking. So it's all about this kind of this pattern of life, pattern of life, life pattern, pattern of, of life. life. And yet what are we getting in chapter 6? Well, then in chapter 6 we get the stand. Mm. And so it's almost as if, um, I mean, you quipped it earlier that like we're to we're walk, walk, walk until we can stand yeah. because it's actually in Christ that our feet are concretely rooted to him mm. and we stand firm in him when when the devil's schemes seem to attack us and want to push us off course and want us to walk in any other way actually sometimes all we can do is have our feet rooted to the ground mm. and that's not in our own strength 
but it's we're rooted in Christ, the one in whom we're trying to walk like. But now in chapter six, it's like just stand there anchored on Christ. There's this, this lovely culmination of a journey that finishes by standing strong, which is one of the things that uh, came out in, I think it's verse uh, uh, 13, uh, which strikes you because of the double use of the word stand. And mm. um, so, uh, and this is my own, own translation, is because of this, take up the full armour of God so that you may, may be able to resist. Now that's, that is, is anti-stand, mm. right? So it's the word for stand with the word anti, anti. at the front. <laughs> so no, so you're to stand in that in, in, intrinsically against, right? So, th- so that you might be able to resist, stand against, you know, um, the day of evil. And having accomplished everything, then to stand, not standing against. This is not resistance. Mm. This is endurance. Mm. So you've got this uh, uh, standing that is a, a, a like a, a rock against a wave of the forces of evil, which again makes you think of Psalm forty six, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, and then you've got at the end of all of that resistance, you're, you're standing there as the sea is calmed, mm. um, and and so you've got this beautiful picture of, of a lasting thing and you know you're going to last because you're in Christ and mm. he is the rock and all of all of that kind of thing and uh, and so it's got this uh, it's got this climactic feel about mm. it. it it's such a, such a wonderful finish to the book and even the very sort of towards the end so verse um, 23 and 24 it, remember how we began okay so in Paul um, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. They're faithful. Um, Mm. Grace, peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gives a blessing at the very Mm. end. Verse 23, peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, grace to all who love our Jesus, Mm. Lord Jesus. So, So you've got... All of those things wrapped up again at mm. the end. And now, having read Ephesians, when it says peace to the brothers and sisters, that's got a depth to it that it didn't have when we read it the first time, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and uh, love, that's got a depth to it um, greater than we had when we began. Faith, yeah. we've got a richer understanding of that than we had when we first began the book. And then, of course, grace. It is by grace that you've been saved, and it's not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Um, and and so you, you've got this. It is a, a a beautifully poetic finish, and and the bit that the the cherry on top, the piece yeah. de resistance for the end of Ephesians is. Let me tell you what the last word in the Greek of Ephesians is: immortality. So, so it's uh, the, the end lead, reads literally, grace with all of those who are loving our Lord Jesus Christ to immortality. Mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it's got, because this is where you're headed. It's mm-hmm. the great plan of God and the great plans of God happen. You're in it. You're part of it. You're in Christ. You're destined for glory and you will be loving him forever and with all the saints. Mm-hmm. That's Ephesians in a nutshell, isn't it? Um, uh uh, loving our Lord Jesus Christ to immortality. So that's a pretty good wrap-up, so I think we should wrap up. I've been Dave. And I've been Mandy. Thanks heaps for joining us for this Ephesians series and join us again as we come back next term as we dig into Genesis uh, chapters 12 to 25 and look at the Abraham story. Mm-hmm.